Chapter Five of Molly Make Believe by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Little and lame and red-haired and brown-eyed, he kept repeating to himself. Old people and young people, cab drivers and jaunty young girls and fat blue policemen looked up one and all with quick brightening faces at the really gorgeous spring-like flame of jonquils, but in a whole chilly, wearisome hour the only red-haired person that passed was an Irish setter puppy, and the only lame person was a wooden-legged beggar. Cold and disgusted as he was, Stanton could not altogether help laughing at his own discomfiture. "'Why, hang that little girl! She ought to be spanked!' he chuckled as he climbed back into his tiresome bed. Then, as though to reward his ultimate good nature, the very next mail brought him a letter from Cornelia, and rather a remarkable letter, too, as in addition to the usual impersonal comments on the weather and the tennis and the annual orange crop, there was actually one whole, individual, intimate sentence that distinguished the letter as having been intended solely for him rather than for Cornelia's dressmaker, or her coachman's invalid daughter, or her youngest brother. This was the sentence. Really, Carl, you don't know how glad I am that in spite of all your foolish objections I kept my original purpose of not announcing my engagement till after my southern trip. You've no idea what a big difference it makes in a girl's good time at a great hotel like this. This sentence surely gave Stanton a good deal of food for his day's thoughts, but the mental indigestion that ensued was not altogether pleasant. Not until evening did his mood brighten again. Then, lad of mine, whispered Molly's gentler letter, lad of mine, how blonde your hair is, even across the chin-tickling tops of those yellow jonquils this morning, I almost laughed to see the blonde, blonde shine of you. Some day I'm going to stroke that hair. P.S. The little dog came home all right. With a gasp of dismay, Stanton sat up abruptly in bed and tried to revisualize every single individual pedestrian who had passed his window in the vicinity of eight o'clock that morning. She evidently isn't lame at all he argued, or little, or red-haired, or anything. Probably her name isn't Molly, and presumably it isn't even Meredith. But at least she did go by. And is my hair so very blonde? he asked himself suddenly. Against all intention his mouth began to prance a little at the corners. As soon as he could possibly summon the janitor, he dispatched his third note to the serial letter company, but this one bore a distinctly sealed inner envelope, directed, for Molly, personal, and the message in it, though brief, was utterly to the point. Couldn't you please tell a fellow who you are? But by the conventional bedtime hour the next night, he wished most heartily that he had not been so inquisitive, for the only entertainment that came to him at all was a jonquil-coloured telegram warning him, whether apple reddens do not pry, lest we lose our Eden, you and I. The couplet was quite unfamiliar to Stanton, but it rhymed sickeningly through his brain all night long like the conscious of an overdrawn bank account. It was the very next morning after this that all the Boston papers flaunted Cornelia's aristocratic young portrait on their front pages 
with the striking large-type announcement that one of Boston's fairest debutantes makes a daring rescue in Florida waters. Hotel cook capsized from rowboat owes his life to the pluck and endurance, etc., etc. With a great sob in his throat and every pulse pounding, Stanton lay and read the infinite details of the really splendid story. A group of young girls dallying on the pier, a shrill cry from the bay, the sudden panic-stricken helplessness of the spectators and then, with equal suddenness, the plunge of a single feminine figure into the water. The long, hard swim, the furious struggle, the final victory. Stingingly, as though it had been fairly branded into his eyes, he saw the vision of Cornelia's heroic young face battling above the horrible, dragging down depths of the bay. The bravery, the risk, the ghastly chances of a less fortunate ending sent shiver after shiver through his already tortured senses. All the loving thoughts in his nature fairly leaped to do tribute to Cornelia. Yes, he reasoned, Cornelia was made like that, no matter what the cost to herself, no matter what was the price, Cornelia would never, never fail to do her duty. When he thought of the weary, lagging, riskful weeks that were still to ensue before he could actually see Cornelia again, he felt as though he should go utterly mad. The letter that he wrote to Cornelia that night was like a letter written in a man's own heart-blood. His hand trembled so that he could scarcely hold the pen. Cornelia did not like the letter. She said so frankly. The letter did not seem to her quite nice. Certainly, she attested, it was not exactly the sort of letter that one would like to show one's mother. Then, in a palpably conscientious effort to be kind as well as just, she began to prattle inkly again about the pleasant, warm, sunny weather. Her only comment on saving the drowning man was the mere phrase that she was very glad that she had learned to be a good swimmer. Never, indeed, since her absence had she spoken of missing Stanton. Not even now, after what was inevitably a heart-racking adventure, did she yield her lover one single iota of the information which she had a lover's right to claim. Had she been frightened, for instance? Way down in the bottom of that serene heart of hers, had she been frightened? In the ensuing desperate struggle for life, had she struggled just one little tiny bit harder, because Stanton was in that life? Now, in the dreadful, unstrung reaction of the adventure, did her whole nature waken and yearn and cry out for that one heart in all the world that belonged to her. Plainly, by her silence in the matter, she did not intend to share anything as intimate, even as her fear of death, with the man whom she claimed to love. It was just this last touch of deliberate, selfish aloofness that startled Stanton's thoughts, with the one persistent, brutally nagging question. After all, was a woman's undeniably glorious ability to save a drowning man the supreme requisite of a happy marriage? Day by day, night by night, hour by hour, minute by minute, the question began to dig into Stanton's brain, throwing much dust and confusion into brain corners otherwise perfectly orderly and sweet and clean. Week by week, grown suddenly and morbidly analytical, he watched for Cornelia's letters with increasingly passionate hopefulness. 
and met each fresh disappointment with increasingly passionate resentment. Except for the serial letter company's ingeniously varied attentions, there was practically nothing to help him make either day or night bearable. More and more Cornelia's infrequent letters suggested exquisitely painted empty dishes offered to a starving person. More and more Molly's whimsical messages fed him and nourished him and joyously pleased him like some nonsensically fashioned candy box that yet proved brimming full of real food for a real man. Fight as he would against it, he began to cherish a sense of furious annoyance that Cornelia's failure to provide for him had so thrust him out, as it were, to feed among strangers. With frowning perplexity and real worry, he felt the tingling, vivid consciousness of Molly's personality begin to permeate and impregnate his whole nature. Yet when he tried to acknowledge and thereby cancel his personal sense of obligation to this Molly by writing an exceptionally civil note of appreciation to the Serial Letter Company, the Serial Letter Company answered him tersely. Pray do not thank us for the jonquils, blanket wrapper, etc., etc. Surely they are merely presents from yourself to yourself. It is your money that brought them. And when he had replied briefly, Well, thank you for your brains, then, the company had persisted with undue sharpness. Don't thank us for our brains. Brains are our business. End of chapter 5